think they did really well with the 3D animation. Oh, definitely. It's bomb. Like, I've seen a lot of people saying it's like mid. <laughs> like, oh, this is shit. But I, I really enjoy it. I mean, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't watched, like, uh, any Super. So it's like, I, I guess I don't have much reference to compare it to, but I like it. I will go out on this fucking hill and die on it. Super's animation sucked. Characters were off model all the time. Return of F and Battle of the Gods, the actual like movies, uh -huh. seem to have like higher production values. Don't even like look that much better. The CG looked fantastic. The the characters are always on model because they're made of models. Yeah. And like they use the CG effectively, I think. For the yeah. Combat. And I think Toriyama's design does really well with, like, having a perfect model that stays consistent, you know? Like, the, I think there are definitely some styles where, like, exaggerated figures and features and shit, like, make sense and plays into the style. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but, and I'm not saying that you, you couldn't do that with Toriyama's style, but I'm just saying that... Toriyama style does work well with this, like, you know, consistent CG model, you know? I don't think they could have given you the scene with Cell, Max Cell, fighting everyone, pretty much, that was on Earth currently. Yeah. Without CG. Like, the if you had done that with traditional animation, then you would still, like, they would have to cut up the scenes more because animating that many characters on screen at the same time is really difficult. Yeah. And they would get so small that, like, you start losing detail. Because if you've seen, like, background characters being drawn in some anime, the, like, it could just look like it's a impressionist painting of that character. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what I fucking love is the, like almost stick figure Clara in the early chapters of Arumakun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've been reading uh, that Cocktail Nights uh, manga. And yeah. each chapter I get into it, the more I'm invested in it. It just needs to hold me off until Friday when the next uh, Arumakun update's out. Hell yeah. Yeah, Clara in the manga reminds me a lot of, like, Puck. <laughs> <clears throat> dragon, dragon, rock the dragon, dragon, ball Z. Or super. Hey guys, this is uh, Weebs, Waifus, and Wonder. I'm Garb. I'm Cyborg, booyah. Booyah. And uh, today we're going to be talking about <laughs> Dragon Ball Super, colon, superhero. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did you want to kick it off? You already had some things that you were talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. So, uh, just real quick. This is certainly my first Dragon Ball movie. And before this, all I've seen is like 20 episodes of the original Dragon Ball. So, like the early stuff with Bulma and Oolong and shit, you know. Right. Um, so, I don't know a whole lot, but like... What I do know about Dragon Ball is just, like, 
you know, some light stuff from some of the fighting games, um, you know, just general pop culture references and things like that. Um, and uh, a basic layman's understanding of the different power ups, like Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan 3, Super Saiyan God, blah, blah, blah. So that's like all my fucking Dragon Ball knowledge, really. However, I will say I think I have a, a lot more Dragon Quest knowledge, which is also uh, something created by Toriyama or, well, is no, Dragon character Quest? Design character design. Character design, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But, yeah, you can see a lot of, of Toriyama's influence um, in kind of the way Dragon Quest plays as well, I think. Um, and is, is like the story direction. Mm-hmm. I really like Dragon Quest, uh, and I really like Toriyama's style, and that's why like I've I decided like a couple years ago to start watching the early Dragon Ball. Um, unfortunately, I didn't finish it, but hopefully, we're gonna watch it here soon for the podcast. Yep, and it's on a uh, Crunchyroll now. Um, I don't know if it was always on Crunchyroll, but I know they added it for the uh, the movie that we're gonna be talking about today. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, so. So that is all to say that I don't have a lot of the context that Dragon Ball fans will have going into this movie. So, uh, you know, just just take my opinions on these matters uh, with a grain of salt, because, like, obviously I don't have the context of all the years of, of different character development and all that. So, you know, um, that being said, I really enjoyed this movie and it really makes me excited for Dragon Ball. Um, cause actually, cause we had been planning to start doing episodes on Dragon Ball and like go through the different arcs. Like we'll split up episodes by maybe like two arcs or something, one or two arcs before watching this movie. I was kind of like, I was kind of hesitant about it. I was like, oh man, this is going to be so much to get through. Like after we, you know, get through all the Code Geass content, like what if I want to do something I'm more interested in? But then after watching Dragon Ball Super Superhero, I'm like, I'm, I'm really super excited to get into some Dragon Ball. Um, I even bought Kakarot, the game that came out in 2020. Oh, hell yeah. And, uh, and if I understand correctly, it's like pretty much the Dragon Ball Z storyline uh, just in JRPG format. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it just follows all of Dragon Ball Z's story. Uh-huh. Just from Goku's perspective. That that sounds pretty silly to me, and I love JRPGs, obviously. <laughs> I love Dragon Quest. Speaking of Dragon Ball video games, Dragon Ball The Breakers is coming out, uh, I think, in the middle of October. Oh. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw a little bit of that. Yeah, so it's like an asymmetric, kind of the way like Dead by Daylight is, where yeah. it's asymmetric multiplayer, where one person plays someone like Cell or Frieza. I've definitely seen Cell in the trailers. Yeah. And then seven, I think it's seven other people play uh, just civilians without powers. Yeah. And it's just kind of a survive. And I think it looks like uh, maybe not generators, but fixing generators or fixing some machine like in Dead by Daylight, if you played that. If you haven't, basically just having an objective that isn't kill the the monster that's going after you yeah let me let me just go ahead and give a crack at a what is dragon ball super superhero question uh just because i I was trying to think of something there and i didn't want to get like too 
far gone into Dragon Ball itself. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. I don't want to sit here and explain all of Dragon Ball to someone, right? Yeah. Dragon Ball Super Superhero is a summer action flick done in CGI animation. If you want to see people punching each other, if you want to see them firing off energy blasts at each other, it's going to be something you'd enjoy. I really think it does a good job of not requiring any prior Dragon Ball knowledge. Definitely. There's a lot of lines in the movie that are basically like, oh, that happened so long ago that I don't remember it. Why don't you remind us for the audience? Wink! And it does a really good job of that. I guess like a core central theme of the story is sort of like a parenting or fatherhood um, kind of theme as far as like the relationship between Piccolo and Gohan and Piccolo and is it Pan? Pan, yeah. Yes. So yeah. And then Gohan and Pan, obviously. And then also, I would say, to some degree, um, Hito and the Gammas, which... Oh, I like that. Hell yeah. For those unfamiliar, um, Hito is the scientist that makes the Gammas, and the Gammas are like the android superheroes that you see in all the promotional material for this. Who have some excellent voice actors. Um, and I have a pinned post somewhere here in our notes. That's uh, all the oh, there it is. voice actors. Dude, uh, this but, this is a oh, stacked cast. Dragon Ball always has had a really strong cast. I guess you could either consider they've always had a strong cast. Or like Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z was the proving ground for a lot of like English dub actors. Yeah. Especially like the ones that are currently active. Uh-huh. I was going to go ahead and get into real quick, though. I think this is the first t- like movie or like of the TV series, as far as I know, uh, Dragon Ball thing that is done with 3D CGI animation instead of more of a traditional 2D animation. Uh-huh. And I think that can be off-putting for a lot of people. I know whenever I hear CGI and anime in the same sentence, I get a little wary. Yeah, for sure. However... There have been some good CGI anime. I'm going to say case in point, uh, Beastars. Even if like you don't like the content, it has a has really strong like animation and character design and everything that looks good, right? Definitely, yeah. I would say that Dragon Ball has had a lot of experience already converting their 2D character designs into 3D for the video games. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get like the weird uncanny anime effect, kind of like how with the Claymore episode, we talked about the uncanny valley for like human faces. You don't get like this weird, like that anime character doesn't look right kind of face, right? Yeah. Because obviously like I, I believe that the features that like make it the, what you would imagine an anime character's face, let's say in this particular instance, Goku or something was designed specifically with 2D in mind, it doesn't completely transfer well to 3D. But I do think they do a good job here. And they've, like, refined it. So I'll say the CGI looks crisp. It lets you have multiple characters on scene moving around, right? Yeah. Or on screen, but in a scene. And it's it lets you have these dynamic and detailed backgrounds, which is super important for like you know the red ribbon army base when they're fighting for most of the movie there Mm -hmm. 
and you know the parts where like there's parts of the the floor breaking away and there's a part where piccolo grabs i think it's like a pillar for the the train or monorail system and he hits cell with it yeah that's all things you can do with more traditional backgrounds and like i do really appreciate the 2d backgrounds that are done with like watercolors or something else because they could look really just amazing right uh-huh but it, this does make use of its CGI in a good way, right? And I think that's worth trading some of the advantages you get with 2D, especially because at the end of the day, and we said this before the episode properly started, I think Dragon Ball Super does not look that good. Tell them. I, I don't think even like uh, the Dragon Ball Super movies that have been 2D, the characters can get kind of off model sometimes, which I understand is just kind of a inevitable thing that happens in 2d animation however it's that and then you have to like use little tricks for like the character punching fast because you don't want to animate too many frames and all these little things that it just looks better in cgi i i think i'm under the impression that like these cgi movies that uh more animated films have been kind of uh headed towards uh-huh are cheaper to make than like the equivalent 2d animation yeah and so look if that's the case if like return of uh f one of the dragon ball super movies or battle of the gods or the brawly one cost about the same as superhero superhero definitely looks a lot better right yeah so even if you're hesitant about cgi because i was for a very long time I think this movie does it well. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Um, I personally think it looks extremely good. And, well, you'll hear this later because we'll probably just put the end of epi- or the stuff we talked about before the episode. We'll throw that at the end or something. But Toriyama's style looks really good on like this fixed, polished model. That stays consistent as it moves around. And Toriyama's style in general is something that I wanted to talk about. But before we do that, I did want to touch on the plot a little bit. Because we are like, you know, (laughs) we've been talking for a bit. And we haven't even really talked about what the movie's about. So the Red Ribbon Army has returned. And they've hired a scientist to make them some super powerful androids and they kind of spun the scientist's tale that um bulma and goku and vegeta and their gang are the bad guys and it's pretty silly to see that <laughs> to see them like telling that tale and the visualizations that go along with that of like you know oh look how evil they were um it's pretty silly especially like it, i mean it's easy to do with piccolo uh, since, you know, Piccolo kind of started out as a villain. Right. So, and Vegeta. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, true, true. Yeah, so uh, it, it was pretty silly. But yeah, so so then, you know, these androids start causing trouble for Gohan and Piccolo. And Piccolo kind of has to, I guess, bring Gohan to his senses and, you know, convince him to fight and protect the earth and his family 
because Goku and Vegeta are just not here. <laughs> Which I mean, like it's a, it's a good lesson for him of like, oh, you're you know, your parents aren't always going to be around to protect you, like that kind of thing, even though Gohan's an adult, but you get what I'm saying. Like, you're, you're not always going to have someone to protect you. Um, so it's a good lesson in that regard, but I just, I do think it's funny that Goku and Vegeta are just chilling on a private planet owned by a god. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, let's fight for fun. Well, one of the things about Goku in particular that I won't get too far into until we get into, like, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, uh-huh. since he's not really a major character here, but I guess his influence is felt, right? Uh-huh. And the thing about Goku is he's not fighting to protect the Earth, right? right? I think in some instances the English dub was actually changed to make him more heroic, and I think those dub changes uh, were maybe uh, reverted with Dragon Ball Kai or Dragon Ball Z Kai, which was like the Dragon Ball Z without the filler uh, redub and like remaster. Uh-huh. I, I don't actually know how much it was redubbed. I think some of the characters might have re- been redubbed, but I don't know if it was all of them. Anyway, so Goku is a person who is interested in the fight. He's yeah, not- yeah particularly interested in winning or protecting people right and and i knew that going into the movie it, it's just uh you know it's just a, a funny circumstance for gohan to be in yeah yeah definitely and i've i've always liked gohan I'm, i was yes. kind of upset that gohan really never got his like uh surpassing goku it sort of happens at the end of Dragon Ball, but not really. Like, Goku's still really the important one against Boo, I feel like. Right. Mystic Gohan is cool. And then, but then you get to Super, and Gohan just basically becomes irrelevant again. Uh-huh. And it's just Goku and Vegeta. And I get those, those are the characters people like. But I like Gohan being, I, I guess because he was raised human or half-human, that he has more of a level-headed and like reasonable outlook on the world yes absolutely that was something i wanted to say about gohan um from the bit of exposure i have had previously to the two dragon ball as a franchise um, goku's kids have always been the most interesting characters to me um for you know reasons that you've listed for gohan uh, about him being level-headed i think is very poignant and also that he's like He's interested in more than just fighting, but granted, you know, some people might be upset to hear that because I think people have been wanting Gohan to keep fighting for a long time and I want him to keep fighting too, but I'm just saying it it is nice that he has like uh, scholarly interests and yeah, I, I love his, his temperament. And like you said, because he was like raised as a human, I think he has a lot more he has more likability for me um i still really like uh goku um and actually i was going to say for goten i feel like goten is very similar from what i've seen i again remember i don't have much context for this but from what i've seen it seems like goten is very similar to goku but just a kid you know um 
but for whatever reason, uh, I like that a little more than adult Goku because like Goten has the excuse of being a literal child for his immaturity, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, and I, I like seeing him do really strong shit really fast. Like, you know, I, I watched a little clip, um, I think from Dragon Ball Z of Gotenks hitting Super Saiyan 3 and there was like a comment on the video and it was like this is why gohan gave up training <laughs> i love the boo saga i was gonna wrap it back around to uh dr hito so yeah. i was gonna say dr hito who is sort of the the or at least responsible for making all of the antagonists more or uh -huh. less for the for this movie is the grandson of dr giro who also made androids and cell and so it kind of seems like a retread at first, but I really feel like Dr. Hito is a different enough character. Oh, and yeah. And his androids being superhero themed is fun. Yeah. And it's different than them being bad guys. And I like how you had mentioned this earlier. It plays into like the, uh, you, you kind of said it was spinning a story. And I guess that's true, right? But yeah. it's almost based on the public perception of the events that happened in Dragon Ball Z and Super. Because everyone thinks that Mr. Satan defeated all these alien invaders, right? Yeah. Piccolo, Goku, and Vegeta are not known as good guys, like, at all, really, right? Actually, I was just saying, yeah, because I was ripping the bong. Um, I didn't know that the general public perception was that Mr. Satan defeated these villains. Yep, the, the excuse is always that Mr. Satan defeated, you know, Sal and Boo, and I think the androids even. I don't think it matters for Frieza, because Frieza was on Namek. Damn, not uh, even getting credit. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, there are a bunch of aliens on Earth, and it's weird that they're here, and they're super powerful, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fun way to twist the perception and give you these characters that think they're heroic, the two gammas who are, you know, built to be superhero androids. Yeah. And make them a lot very likable antagonist, right? Yeah. And oh fuck. Okay, wait. I have to say that for spoilers. Sorry, but just got excited about something. So I, we were talking about voice actors earlier, and I had made a list that we could go over as far as the English voice <laughs> actors for the cast. Yeah. Okay, listen, real quick, I don't, I don't want to shit on the Japanese cast, but the English uh, cast, because I was re-watching some of the movie before we started doing this on just like a, a bootleg to like freshen up. It was a sub. And... In, by comparison, I mean, even not by comparison, English dub is fantastic. But then also by comparison, it's like there are some lines and some fucking yells, you know, because Dragon Ball has a lot of yells that just really hit different in English. And, I, and I'm saying this is like I used to be a big fucking dub boy. But then after we started doing this podcast it i like completely flip-flopped now i'm like hardcore sub i'm like 90 percent of the time sub only dub when it's really good like i think the 
Arumakun English dub is super good. Um, I think Gurren Lagann has a really good dub. Stuff like that, right? right? But 90% of the time now when I'm watching anime, I watch subbed. And I really like the Japanese voices. But, dude, for Dragon Ball, this shit's so good. You got Kyle Abear as Gohan. Who's Kamina for the English dub for King and Topa Gurren Lagann. And he is Sullivan in the English dub for Arumakun. Hell yeah. Also, he does the um, announcer voice for next time on Dragon Ball Z. Oh, does he? Yeah. That Ah, oh, neat. So I was going to say before we get into it more, because we do love Kyle A. Bear, and <laughs> definitely the, the most important one there being Kamina. Yeah. So uh, uh, kind of in reference to what you were talking about with the English VAs versus the the... Japanese, Japanese voice actors. Yeah. I think one thing is growing up with it, those voices, those are the ones I'm used to. Yeah. And like knowing these characters, like I know who Goku is. And if I close my eyes, I hear Goku's English voice, right? Yeah. See, I, I couldn't do that really. Um, the other thing is the Japanese voice for Goku can, I think, throw a lot of people off. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'll even say, because when we were going to buy the tickets, you asked me, like, uh, do, you, do you know about the uh, Japanese voice for Goku? Um, I, I was pretty thrown off when I listened to, like, just a little bit. But then, like, now that I've been trying to consume more Dragon Ball content and get, like, an idea for, you know, some of the story points, um, which, like, the more I learn, the more I like about it, like... The more I understand the motivation of the characters, the more I'm interested in, in Dragon Ball as a franchise. But yeah, so so as I've been doing that, and then like I played a little bit of Kakarot this morning after I bought it, and um, like I, I think I, I, I still like the English voice for, for Goku and Gohan better, definitely. But, you know, I, I see how people can enjoy it, and I think it's it's like good voice acting. It's just different. Right. I will say one last thing is the English voice actor cast for Dragon Ball as a series is probably the best of the best as far as like anime dubbing cast go, right? Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about the all-stars here. Part of that's just hey, they're experienced, right? Yeah. And they've been playing these characters for a very long time now. But it's like most of the big voice actor names in the industry have done something in Dragon Ball, I feel like. Yeah. So anyway, I guess we could get into the rest of the um, cast. cast. Yeah. So I was going to say uh, Piccolo is voiced by Christopher Sabat, I believe, who does the English voice, obviously English voice for all these uh, examples. All Might for My Hero Academia. Despa for Ranking of Kings, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yes, so Despa, who's the like the guy who trains uh, the main character in Ranking of Kings, and Inferno Cop. Hell yeah. I should love to see Inferno Cop. And then he's also Vegeta. Oh, right, and he also does Vegeta's voice. And then, so, uh, Pan's voice actress is Jeannie Tirado who is Norman uh, in Promised Neverland, which I believe we watched that dubbed when we watched it, didn't we? Yeah, I think we watched it dubbed, and we've also only seen the first season. 
Or at least I have. I don't know if you watched the second I read one. the manga after we watched the first season. I want to I wanna read the manga, yeah. It's really interesting, and it would be a good... Uh, it, I think that would be a fun one to watch, the, since we've already seen season one of the anime, to watch the anime and then read the manga, and maybe like do an episode and talk about the pros and cons of both. Yeah. Alex Lee is Gamma number one, and he is also known for doing the voice of Zenitsu in Demon Slayer, and also Kirio in Irumakun, and Dude... I love Zenitsu. I um I see a lot of people shitting on Zenitsu, but yeah, I, I I like Zenitsu as a character. I think he's silly. I like Demon Slayer a lot. Fucking fight me. And obviously, you know, I love Arumakun and Kirio with his uh whew, his sexual energy when he swoops his hair back. But yeah, what a, what a great fucking pick for Gamma Number One. Yes, excellent. Both both Gamma number one and Gamma number two were, uh, it was very surprising to me since they were new characters, how much I like their English voice actors. Yeah. Um, so the other Gamma, Gamma number two, is voiced by Zeno Robinson. And I thought I had recognized his voice, and I had. It is Cyborg in Young Justice. Booyah! And have you seen their uh, their drip, their Gamma 1 and 2 suits? That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I will go ahead and reply with that image or retweet wherever uh, it is on Twitter. Yeah. So the the viewers at home can see, but it's Alex Lee and uh, Zena Robinson in their yellow suits with the Gamma 1 and 2 logos on them. Look at those handsome men. And let's see here. Alex Lee has incredibly smooth-looking skin. He does. He's, he's got that young boy handsome look, you know what I mean? <laughs> young boy handsome. So then you have um, Zach Aguilar, who plays uh, Hito, Dr. Hito. Yeah. And he also does the voice of Tanjiro. Ooh, another Demon Slayer character. And, uh, dude... Yeah, he does really well in this. Um, I didn't even realize he was Tanjiro at first. I mean, his voice was a little familiar. But yeah, that's pretty cool. He, he definitely plays it differently enough to fit Dr. Hito rather than just sounding like he's doing the one voice acting voice he can do. Right. Or if that, if that obviously in this case, he's doing multiple different voices. You know what? I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tanjiro is a much more like earnest voice, I would say. Definitely, yes. Whereas Hito is kind of like a a nerd who has been kicked down a lot, I think, and so he's he's a little resentful. And I like the I the him. little bit of nasliness he kind of adds yeah. to the performance. It, it it really fits with the the kind of snide way he talks and everything. I, I thought it was a really yeah good fit for the character yeah for sure and then uh next for the voice of magenta we have charles martinet and he does the voice of mario luigi wario and waluigi <laughs> <laughs> and i i think this works really well for magenta because magenta kind of has that god i don't know how i want to describe it but 
I mean, he's even got the fucking mustache and, like, the slicked back hair. So he kind of looks... He kind of sounds like, like a, a little monster. Italian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got, like, the, the short man complex. Um, which, if I understand correctly, the previous, like, heads of the fucking what is it red ribbon army red ribbon not red robin (laughs) red ribbon army the previous heads of the red ribbon army uh also had like short man little man complexes or whatever right um so yeah i i I think that's great it's fun to see charles martinet do i don't know if i'm saying his last name correctly but yeah it's fun to see him do like a more malicious character uh, which I guess, like, Wario and Waluigi kind of are. But you get what I mean. In, like, a serious setting. Yeah, the Wario and Waluigi are goofy evil. Exactly, yeah. The Red Robin army made me think of, uh, you know how Red Robin has the, like, bottom bottomless basket of fries? Yeah. <laughs> so it would be the bottomless basket of Oreos. Yeah. <laughs> Since Magenta keeps giving Dr. Hito Oreos throughout the uh, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite scenes is right at the beginning where he has the the tray of Oreos uh, that's kind of like mechanical come up in the, the little divider between the car seats. Uh-huh. And when Dr. Hito eats all of those Oreos, it closes and then opens back up and more come out. <laughs> oh. Anyway, and then finally, you have the voice of Carmine, who is Magenta's lackey with a cool pompadour, played by uh, Jason, Jason Marnocha, who is uh, Beelzebuff in Aruma, who is the blonde uh, head of the the 13 dinners that isn't one of the three, so not like Sullivan and Levy and the other guy, I forget his name. Did you say the 13 dinners? The, the dinner of the 13. You know what I'm talking about? The, I, I mean, yes, but I, th- I thought it was called something different. I guess I more just meant the, the 13 as an organization and their dinners. Aroma. What is it called? Uh, it might be called the 13 Crowns. 13 Crowns is the organization. Yes. Anyway, Beelzebuff is the blonde guy with the mustache and the little antenna. Kind of makes him look like Piccolo. Yeah. And he's also Megatron, I guess. <laughs> uh, one thing I thought was funny is when I was scrolling through some of these English VA roles for research. Um, got to see a lot of uh, Smite voice acting that I didn't even mention. Yeah. Uh, which I'm pretty sure, like, uh, in this case, Jason Marnocha plays Megatron's voice for the Smite Megatron skin that Jingwei has. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, that that's all the voice actors and one actress that I had written down. Uh, those are the main characters of the movie, really, though. I mean, yeah. you get like Goten and Trunks for a little bit and Bulma for a little more. And like Android 18 says like two things. Get some Krillin lines. Yeah, you get some Krillin. Krillin, the old canary in the coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> If he dies, then then things are trouble. <laughs> so, first thing I want to talk about is Piccolo and Gohan's relationship. And I definitely feel like Piccolo is a father figure 
kind of to Gohan. And it kind of reminds me of... Oh, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the relationship between the character you play as in Ghost of Tsushima and his uncle. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Because his uncle kind of ends up being his father figure, right? Yes. How far in Ghost of Tsushima have you gotten? Uh, Not very far. Okay, so? (laughs) Oh, no. During the beginning and like his childhood, yes, I agree with you. Okay, damn, that sucks. All right. Anyway, uh, I was I thought of another example, but I'm embarrassed to even bring it up because I almost dislike myself for liking this movie. But whatever, it's it's just like that that like father figure that isn't actually someone's blood father and didn't. It wasn't, you know, necessarily, like, raising them um, from birth, but still steps into their life in, like, their early years, like, their adolescent years, and helps to kind of guide them, you know? So, yeah, I I just feel like Piccolo's kind of a father figure to Gohan and also to Pan in this movie. Definitely, yeah. And Piccolo kind of has to slap gohan and tell him you know this is pan is your daughter pay attention to her (laughs) (laughs) um and also fight yeah i i just i like the relationship between the two of them and i really want to see gohan do better gohan definitely feels like the the young 20 something still finding his way i mean i don't actually know how old he is but that's like kind of the impression he gives off i guess so yeah, I really want to see Gohan succeed, and so does Piccolo, and so then that makes me really like Piccolo, and uh, yeah, Piccolo feels like a very strong moral character to me from the little bit I've seen of him in this movie. Piccolo is definitely my favorite character in Dragon Ball. Hell yeah, I heard that it's Toriyama's favorite character, <laughs> it's Piccolo. Um Yeah, and and so I I think that's kind of like one of the main themes of the movie is Gohan failing as a hero at the start because he's like fucking slacking off and he's paying way too much attention to other stuff and he's not being, he needs to pay more attention to Pan and, and like, you know, be a good father and he needs to train and keep physically fit so that he can protect his family from these sorts of his family and friends from from crazy absurd threats that are going to likely happen to them um so yeah i I think and it's a a great theme because if you think of it as the start of the movie is gohan failing as a hero and the movie's called superhero (laughs) you know and the villains are modeled after superheroes it's all very, you know, heroic. I feel like there was one missed uh, opportunity as far as the superhero theming go, or uh-huh. goes, it, which is that Gohan is a main character and he has the great Saiyaman alter personality that's him dressed up as a superhero. Yeah. And that doesn't really even get referenced in the movie. I've yeah, so I've heard about that um that little mini arc in in Dragon Ball Z. 
But yeah, I haven't actually seen that, so I, I wouldn't have known. It, it, I don't think it's a flaw. I don't know if it would have really fit in the movie anywhere. I just think it's interesting yeah. that there was like obviously a superhero theme. And it would have been cool if like Dr. Hito was like, oh, yeah, I love the great Saiyaman. And Gohan's, you know, later is like, oh, you modeled the Gammas after the great Saiyaman. I'm the great Saiyaman or something along those lines. right? Yeah, that would have been silly. Is Piccolo minority coded? I won't say black coded. I, I think so. Like he's an alien race that obviously looks different because Saiyans don't really look that different. Yeah. Uh, he wears the the head wrap turban thing, which I think is definitely the most like black seeming thing. Is like the the wave caps and the the do rags. Yeah, and uh, you know, so I feel like Piccolo being the main character, Dragon Ball superhero, is a, a at least in America a movie about black culture or for black culture. <laughs> Hell yeah. Man, Piccolo's fucking awesome, alright? This movie has, like, fully sold me on Piccolo's character, not having, like, known shit about it. Like, I knew more about Gohan than I did about Piccolo going into this. But, yeah, I fucking, I loved it. I love the, like, yellow-powered-up Piccolo. Um, it, it was great. And, oh, you know what? That kind of leads into something I want to talk about. Actually, that might be spoilers. Uh... You do you think it's spoiler time? Should we talk about waifus? Okay, you know what? Okay, wait. So we've already talked about 3D animation. Um, I thought the 3D animation is super good. The fight scenes look really good. There's some fights with, like, a lot of people in them, which you were talking about earlier, where, like, you know, it would just be extremely hard to do that with 2D animation. But e even more so than that, the composition of the fights make it clear what's going on and like who's safe and who's being hit and you know who's aggressing and all that kind of stuff so yeah i really like the fight scenes in this i think you you kind of hit on a good point so we talk about composition a lot and i like that word right yeah as in the the way that your art is laid out on the screen uh-huh and i think good cgi you get a lot of composed shots and you do lose out on some elements that like are easier or can only be done in 2d really. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's really anything that actually can only be done in 2d that couldn't be done in 3d, but it's a, it's a lot easier to do certain things and make it look good in 2d. Yeah. Like we've talked about uh, going sort of off model on purpose to exaggerate things. Right. And this could be really subtle. It doesn't have to be uh, cartoonish. And despite that, I think the composition is something that a lot of CGI works fail at. Uh-huh. I'm going to use a great example, which is like, if you go and look at the uh, 2D sprites for Pokemon, just as an example, and you look at the move over to 3D models... Yeah, the models in certain animations can look good for like a few seconds, right? Yeah. But while standing around idly, there's a lot of them that like look bad. Yeah, they look super bland. Like, for instance, um, so the original sprites for Typhlosion in like Pokemon Gold and Silver, 
make him look so fucking cool in my opinion. And even, you know, going as far as like, say the sprites and heart gold and soul silver, Typhlosion looks like such a, a cool fucking kind of stealthy, almost spiky at the end, fiery, you know, monster. And then when you hit 3d, it's like, what is this? A weird stuffed animal? You know, I, yeah, I, Typhlosion's 3d model in like Oras or sun and moon or, you know, sword and shield or whatever. Like it's, it's kind of rough. One of the really weird things, um, and Pokemon is obviously related to Dragon Ball because the uh, Toriyama-inspired art oh, yeah. <laughs> for the originals is uh, him with like his mouth hanging open without the fire or anything and just kind of standing there looks kind of weird. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so I think the composition of the fights at Dragon Ball Superhero, despite being 3D, there's a lot of thought into how the the shots are composed right yeah you get some things that look like um i, I think the right term in animation is like key frames where you uh, you draw what you draw like each like kind of storyboard beat like you would in like a manga or something or a comic right uh-huh and so the, a lot of the scenes look like they have that moment for a second where someone had actually like drawn out and composed the scene on paper. Yeah. But the CGI lets you do these cool things where then you get to move the camera and you get to do a lot of the fun stuff with the camera movement, which I think might get a little overused, but it it almost seems like because it's the first time they, they got to do this with dragon ball. uh, They were really making use of, being able to move the camera around a lot and show you a lot of different angles for the fights and everything. Yeah, like they do that really silly. I, I like it, but it's kind of silly the um when they give you the beginning of Vegeta and Goku's fight. Uh, Vegeta fucking swings Goku around and they like spin the camera. It's, it's kind of silly. I love that. And that used to be something that like even in 2D shows, uh, something like that would be done with CGI. Yeah. So they they just take full advantage of it here. And I really like that. And you get a lot of cool, uh, just kind of to hit back on the dynamic backgrounds. Uh-huh. Uh, you get a lot of moving parts in the background that are fun. Yeah. That you I don't think you could have done in a lot of the fights without a lot more effort, I guess. Right. Yeah, when, when the fucking, uh, well, I'll, I'll just say in the last fight, when there's a lot of destruction of, of buildings and shit, there's a lot going on that makes the scene feel very real. Feels like the you feel the more of the impact from the destruction rather than just seeing like, you know, a plume of smoke and a couple big chunks falling off. You know what I mean? Yes. And what one cool thing, I, I, I'm going to have to explain something that happens in 2D animation and you've probably noticed it. Uh-huh. So if something is, if some part of like the environment or background is going to be interacted with in 2D animation, you can normally tell that it was drawn there, right? Yeah. Usually because someone else handles the backgrounds or like they're done on a different medium or something. Uh Uh-huh. 
so you'll see like a lighter portion like if it's a if you're looking at like a, a wall of hedges right then a lighter portion of the hedge that'll kind of be drawn on top as like an extra layer and doesn't look like it fits there will be the part that is like dynamic and moves uh-huh which is kind of like a a medium level spoiler and i don't mean medium is like between easy and hard i mean like as part of the medium in the sense that like if you're reading a book or watching a movie and you see you're near the end then you know uh-huh. certain things are going to happen yeah so because you know once you know it if you see a part of the background that looks different like that and you recognize that you know that something's going to happen there uh-huh whereas with the the cgi scenes here you just get to destroy whatever you want, right? Right. Right. It, you don't know what it's going to be, which is like it's a really minor thing. Uh huh. But it was it was fun and it made the the fights a lot more exciting. Yeah. Versus like seeing, oh, that part of floor is gonna break in just a second, right? Right. So there's one more thing I want to talk about before we get into the spoilers. Okay. And that's. The fact that Toriyama wrote the screenplay for this movie is, I think, a huge reason why this movie appealed to me so much and re- and really like ignited a uh, passion for this series, like a you know a passion for the series that I want to delve into. Obviously, I don't have much experience with it yet, so I, I can't say definitively like, oh, I'm gonna. This is going to be one of my favorites, you know, but I'm really looking forward to seeing more. And in such a way that, like, say if I had watched a different Dragon Ball movie that Toriyama had, like, less influence over the story and everything, then I might not have been, like, hooked so much because I wouldn't have known what was going on. And also, like you said before, this movie does a great job of, of... giving you information for an audience that doesn't have all the context for all the powers and stuff. But yeah, I, d- I definitely think you can see Toriyama's mark on this movie. And I really, really like Toriyama's style. And I think Toriyama's style is to want to make you smile. There's a scene where Pan like runs up and jumps and hugs Gohan. And they like rub faces in a loving way, and Pan, both Pan and Gohan's face are turned like to where you can see both of them smiling, and you can see like both of their eyes, you know. So they're kind of like rubbing their che- cheeks, but they're both kind of still facing forward, if that makes sense. Right. And it's so that you can see the happiness on both of their faces, and that's like it's so present in. You know, even stuff like Dragon Quest, where during the happy scenes, you're supposed to... Toriyama's whole style is that, like, joyful wonder. And it's something I really like about, like, early Dragon Ball, is the setting is very, like, familiar, but still wondrous and mystical. And, you know, kind of has that, like, cartoony charm um, that I, I really, really adore. 
So yeah, yeah, I just I just wanted to fucking praise Toriyama for a minute. <laughs> so I was gonna say most of the Dragon Ball Z movies are non-canon. Uh huh. The super movies, Battle of the Gods and Resurrection F, I think are basically one to one recreated in the ser- the TV series itself afterwards. Okay. I-, I don't really have an opinion on which version of events is better. Um, but anyway, I think aside from Battle of the Gods, all of the Dragon Ball Super era movies are screenplays done by Toriyama. So that's Dragon Ball Resurrection F, uh, Dragon Ball Super Brawly, and now Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. And I'm pretty sure all of those are like main canon. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because there, there's ones... That, that are like the the Dragon Ball Z movies that they make up androids and stuff like that. And there's a there's one where it's like the, a guy plays an ocarina and a, there's a monster. Uh, and I think that's a tr- trunk centric one I watched. Uh huh. And they, they just they're they're like they're fun, but they're nowhere near the quality of anything else Dragon Ball related. Yeah. Um, okay, so does that wrap it up? Should we go into spoilers? Yeah. Spoiler transition, whoa! Alright, I just have to say, off the bat, I was scared Cell Max was just going to be Cell 2.0, right? Uh Uh-huh. And then he fucking comes out, he breaks out of his, like, little... incubation chamber thing yeah and he's huge and he doesn't talk he just roars yeah. and it reminds me of like a, a godzilla moment kind of deal or like having to fight a dragon right yeah it, it's something that was just like most dragon ball fights are human-sized enemies yeah and usually like some you know they're they're usually pretty intelligent seems like yeah, and they're they're humanoid, and they, they tend to be able to speak, like you you're saying, and all these things. Yeah, I guess it's not fair to say. I mean, Cell Max could be intelligent, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't talk at least, right? But yeah, the the difference is, and also like larger enemies uh, in Dragon Ball tend to not actually be that like scary. Uh huh. Like all the strongest people in Dragon Ball are human sized. Yeah. And like even like the Saiyans going into monkey form is not controlled enough to be like a usable uh, like combat thing for the most part. Yeah. But you you finally get something that I, I think Dragon Ball or at least like the Z level fights needed. I guess it kind of happens in the original Dragon Ball stuff. Yeah. Which is more down to earth anyway. But when you get to Z and you get to like freeze and sell and stuff. You don't have this gigantic dragon-like enemy, right? Yeah. I I use the term dragon kind of in the sense of, I think I used it for the Claymore episode too, in the sense that you have a really large enemy that, in this case, too, multiple people have to take down. Like a Monster Hunter feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Cell Max just is like bestial. He's scary. Uh, I like the, the fucking gigantic 
energy blast he does that uh, zooms out and you see it like break through the atmosphere for a moment and then kind of shrink fuck. down. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like as big as a fucking moon, if not bigger, you know? Right. And I really like that Piccolo got a chance to actually use his size changing ability to do something in a fight. Yeah. Oh, real quick. I kind of wanted to talk about how like the moments when they do have to kind of give like a little bit of exposition of previous things that have happened. Um, they move off it very quickly, which I think works really well for that because you're, you're, you don't want to hang on onto the like, Hey guys, we're explaining to the audience. Uh-huh, yeah. No, they're just like, Hey, remember this? Okay, let's go. Right? Like, they don't fucking um, stop. Right? It's enough explanation for what the movie needs. Right. And no more, really. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so as far as once we get into the Cell Max fight, what, what, what do you think? Uh, what do you think your favorite thing was? In, in the whole movie or before? Oh, no, just like once you get into the Cell Max fit. I guess, okay, well, let's say, what was your favorite scene in the whole movie? Hmm, damn. Um, I think it might be the climax, honestly, which is like a cheesy thing to say, but because of how much I love Gohan, when that scene when Piccolo was like, you just have to keep charging your key for like this big, whatever ranged attack you want to do. He was like, Kamehameha, you know, something else, whatever, just charge up a, a huge energy beam attack and like, I'll, I'll keep him distracted and then I'll pin him down so that you can do your, your big blast, shoot your big load. And Piccolo starts getting fucking pummeled by cell max and Gohan wants to go in there and like you know save him but piccolo's like no don't fucking you know like i've got this right and oh it hits so hard it's such a great scene for piccolo it's such a great scene for gohan um and then you get the scene where following that where um so like i guess this whole segment i'll say is is like my favorite part you are led to believe that cell max may have just killed piccolo and because he's like holding his fucking limp body in the palm of his hand and like holding it above his head and he's fucking roaring and oh that roar in english is so good uh and and like you said it's really like terrifying you know and then you get in response to that you get gohan powering up to gohan beast and fucking letting out his war you know his fucking battle cry and you get to see his big explosive like blue Saiyan energy bursting out and uh it's it's pretty fucking sick absolutely and the whole the way they can sell piccolo maybe being dead requires i think them to go from in the beginning of the fight where they're kind of just toying with cell max and trying to break his head Mm -hmm. And you have like fat Gotenks uh, 
basically body slamming it sort of deal. Oh, man. <laughs> but they managed to shift the tone really well. Yeah, and and that's another thing. Okay, so I I watched a little bit of people talking about this movie, which I try not to do when we we do these episodes because I don't want to like poison the well of like my opinion, I guess. But man, some of these fucking people some of these fucking people were like shit talking the stakes of the movie and saying like the stakes weren't weren't, you know, high enough for what's been going on in Dragon Ball. But like it it doesn't matter if it's not like universal because they sell it so fucking well. Yeah, yeah, I I think people get kind of poisoned by like the shonen idea of like raising power levels and raising stakes. Right. And the thing is is this was a movie that didn't have the the god level sayings in it, right? Yeah. And so everyone else probably if cell like normal cell showed up could probably give them all one versus one a run for their money, right? Yeah. Uh, so, like, a stronger, scarier cell, I think it's sold as something that's actually, like, a life-or-death situation for the characters. Yeah. And for the people who want it to, like, you know, go to, a, like, a planetary level or a galactic level or whatever, it's, like, I, I think the only thing they could have done in the sense of the story is killed off a character besides the Gammas. Uh-huh. Which... I don't think would have worked for like a long running series that you're expecting. Also characters come back all the fucking time in Dragon Ball. So how really important is death or like damage the earth or something. Right. Yeah. Like you, you would have just have, have to have done something kind of absurd. I, I don't think the, the stakes were appropriate for a story about Gohan and Piccolo. You're right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was very, very enthralled. Um, yeah, I mean, say what you will, I guess. But I thought it was fucking great. I was on the edge of my seat. Right. I feel like it would be like getting upset because you go from like Naruto Shippuden to Boruto. Yeah. Or it's like if the stakes are lowered because Boruto's a kid. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Boruto has some other problems in my opinion, but... <laughs> Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, as far as, like, there's a different main character, obviously the stakes are different for that character, right? Yeah. And and with the stuff with Goku and fucking Vegeta, they were getting to the level where their fucking universe was going to erase, be erased if uh, they didn't win a tournament, right? Yeah. Like, you can't raise the stakes past that. Yeah. So, like, the the point, I guess you could, but, like, the point stops being about raising the stakes. I think it starts being about taking, you know, characters you like and being able to put them in situations like this, right? Yeah. I And I think this, the, the fight with Cell Max was more enjoyable than any other fight in Dragon Ball Super. I haven't seen uh, Dragon Ball Brawly yet, and I really like uh, the original Brawly movie. Uh-huh. Or Broly, whatever. So I'll leave that one out. But as far as, like, Dragon Ball Super, at least where it, quote, ended with the Universe Tournament arc, I think the manga goes on and there might be more TV series eventually. 
uh like none of the fights were incredibly engaging to me like it was good right yeah but raising the stakes and raising the power levels didn't work for super i think so i feel like them kind of reining it back in lets you bring in more of the characters that are lower power level yeah uh, which was more interesting and like if krillin's in the fight then krillin's actually at risk of dying right right if goku dies that's just the fucking what like the second or third time he's died i actually Uh think they might only be able to die once whatever It, it dragon ball death is complete bullshit in my opinion yeah it would have been bad to see these characters you know get hurt and die whereas like goku and vegeta get hurt and die all the time yeah you know what i mean yeah 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 i i really hope that there's like a future series or you know even maybe just like one arc that folk well i hope for more than one arc but um a future for goku's kids and piccolo in the dragon ball franchise as like main focuses um i think would be really really great to see because i i just i absolutely love gohan and then we can trigger uh, we can transition into something that i was just slightly annoyed by which is i also really like goten and i just don't know why goten and trunks were in that movie and i love goten and trunks and i wanted them to be in the movie and i wanted to see gotenks i did not want to see fat gotenks (laughs) yeah but I think because it was Gohan's movie, you couldn't give Goten as much focus because he is a sane. Yeah, and I understand that now. I just, now it leaves me with the question of like, you know, I might as well have just said they were busy doing something else <laughs> because I I don't know. I, I don't think their contribution did justice to their characters. Very much. They were kind of just there. Hey, look. They were a warm body. Just like Krillin. Just like Android 18. Who isn't a warm body. (laughs) (laughs) I guess she actually is. I I, I don't actually know. I think the androids, or at least like Android 18 and 17, are, uh, and 16 maybe, are like basically humans. Uh Uh-huh. I don't really know how that works. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I do think they did go to dirty, but I also think they kind of just threw in all the characters that would have been, yeah, you know, above Krillin's power level, basically. Yeah. That would have been available. Yeah, Pan. Because obviously you could say there's characters below Krillin's power level, Yamcha, Tien. Yeah, that, that's, that's allegedly the... Allegedly Master Roshi. He, here's, here's my pitch, right? Okay. Wait, let me think of a good name. <laughs> uh, Dragon Ball. I don't know. We'll just call it Dragon Ball Gohan as a working title. And it's about, it focuses on Gohan and Pan and then features prominently, prominently features uh, um, Goten and Trunks and bulma a little bit because i mean she's not much of an adventurer at this point but you you get what i mean like the the earth crew prominently features them as well 
Um, but definitely Goten and Trunks is like side protagonists. And the first arc is Pan training to get strong enough to kick Krillin's ass. <laughs> so I would love to, if they do a series after Super, uh-huh. especially if like they have to end up doing a series without Toriyama eventually, I would love to see them do a retread of GT in the sense that you have a uh, pan-centric storyline with like Goten and Gohan as kind of the older characters that can be helpful and like Piccolo, but like leave Goku and Vegeta, you know, in the background, right? They're, they're retired. <laughs> yeah. 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 G- give me, give me that, uh, that new gen. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I really love Gohan, but man, fucking what else did I want to talk about? Oh, uh, I think that Hito's pride is what caused him to like accept the easy route by, you know, using the Red Ribbon army for funding for his androids. He believe I like I think his flaw is he believes that he deserves greatness. Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's what lets him be corrupted right yeah that's kind of what i meant by pride i think but that's yeah yeah a better yeah. Way yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i i think that is what like that is pride uh-huh. i just wanted to specifically say dr hito believes you know he's better than dr jiro right and i like that his like kind of view on justice is based on dr jiro being evil like he doesn't want to be that way yeah i, I think that's fun uh, I, I, but yeah, I do think it's a pride issue that leads him to accept a kind of, you know, sketchy story about these aliens Yeah, and convince them to work with obviously the bad guys, right? One thing I really like is the whole, uh, the like pan kidnapping arc stuff uh-huh. of the movie. I guess not really an arc, but like that, that part of the movie, as far as, that is the trigger point for so many things. Like Pan is such an important character in the, this movie yeah. that I really like that she doesn't really fight. Yeah. Uh, you know, she punches a couple, <laughs> she punches one guy a couple times Hell yeah. basically. Um, but yeah, or kicks him, whatever. But the, the idea being that like the morality of the story is centered around Pan getting kidnapped. That's what brings Gohan into it, right? And Piccolo kind of being morally ambiguous and uh-huh. <laughs> how he brings Gohan into it. Yeah. And then the case of like the Gammas seeing Pan get kidnapped and like mistreated. Yeah. It's part of like what leads to their turn into good guys, which I love. And that's, I think, something we haven't really gone over as far, far as spoilers go. Yeah, and then that's also like the the point of contention between Doctor Hito and Magenta, right? Dude, yeah, absolutely. The fact that the Gammas, um, like, pretty much immediately they they realize that what they're doing clashes with their morals, you know, that they thought they were upholding. So they are pretty much like, you know, immediate to be like, "Fuck, we fucked up." Okay. Let's, you know, let's band together and do this, right? I I absolutely love that. 
it it definitely makes Gamma 2's death feel impactful. Yeah, and, and Piccolo at the end of the movie calling Gamma 2 a hero. Th- it was great. I, I fucking I loved it. Uh, it really made me care about the Gammas. Yes, and I think that's important. I think if the Gammas hadn't been like fleshed out as villains and they'd kind of just been like starter villains yeah to lead into cell max the death wouldn't have really mattered even even if they had like changed sides for some other reason right like the world's gonna get destroyed Uh uh-huh but like they give you reasons to care about the villain yeah and then the uh the death matters more right yeah or not even villain they give you reasons to care about the gammas and so gamma 2's death actually matters to the viewer yeah and the best villains, I think, are ones that you can like. Yeah. Speaking of damages from the fight, um, something that I'd kind of been thinking about is limbs being cut off for characters who have the ability to, like, regenerate them or, like, repair repair it, you know, or, like, fucking weld the arm back on, essentially. Um, because last week when we were talking about Claymore, it's like, it feels like towards the end of Claymore, when one of the Claymore warriors get their limbs cut off, you really don't feel much of anything, right? Because you're like, oh, well, they'll probably regrow it. You know, they've got those two or three people by the end of the series, it's like three of the seven, um, have like really strong regenerative like basically healing abilities that you can hold your hands over someone and, and help them regenerate their limb. Um, so it, it's kind of like, you know, versus like saying something like berserk, when you see guts lose his arm, like that's fucking brutal, right? That's fucking like gut wrenching that, that, uh, <laughs> the, there's a bleeping sound effect in audacity, just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> that is never gonna have an arm for the rest of his life. Right? <laughs> what what if I just, you know, take another character saying that word and just, you know, <laughs> paste it over you saying it? That works too. Yeah, but you know, and, and he gets like an awesome prosthetic arm, and I really like the prosthetic arm. But still, you, you feel the, the like stakes of it. So when Piccolo um, loses his arm, it's, you know, I, at first I have like a little bit of mixed feelings about it. So it's like, oh, well, Piccolo can regenerate it, right? So it's, it's not like I, I, I'm not going to my heart's not necessarily going to bleed as much. Right. E- even though I'm, I'm still sad that Piccolo's getting hurt because I love Piccolo. But then they have the scene where Piccolo stretches his one arm to around Cell Max and restrains him. And then I, I think, like, as it progresses, he, like, regenerates his second arm and also gets a, a hold on Cell Max. But still, that, that scene where you just see that one arm stretching from the shadow, um, and that also is, like, your scene that confirms that Piccolo is still alive. Dude, that was pretty fucking sick. And so I, I liked the use of the limb being chopped off even though uh, he can regenerate it but yeah I, th- I thought that was pretty sick i feel like next time this comes up 
I want to talk more about like losing limbs, but I want to talk about it in a in a sense that we're talking about a series like Berserk, where yeah. the, losing the limb matters more. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely sold well with Piccolo, right? Yeah, it matters in the fight enough for it to like be an actual wound, and I I like limb loss even if it's regenerating uh, the limb afterwards. Uh, yeah. Or the character regenerates their limb afterwards, better than like the like indestructible uh, like Goku sort yeah. of characters. Yeah, I, I that's fair. That's a good point. It's like part of it is that like if you're doing any long running series with a lot of fighting, you either have to have a way to heal or regenerate people's limbs, or the characters basically have to be made of you know, like steel, right? Like they can't break. Uh huh. And I understand that, but I do really like seeing, like, if you give me a regeneration kind of aspect or a healing aspect, it's it makes the the wounds actually like matter, right? Yeah. And I don't, I don't want a gore fest for sure, right? Yeah. But I think there's like a there's a point where it gives you more of a feeling of what how strong the attacks are actually supposed to be. Right. Whereas like you could get some cool stuff with like environmental destruction, but like in the case of Dragon Ball in particular, you have like a lot of variable uh, environmental destruction that has like no link to power level, right? Yeah. If someone can, you know, Kamehameha a mountain away, which I'm pretty sure is basically almost baseline Kamehameha. Yeah. Uh, then, like, what, you step that up and you destroy the earth, which it's like Frieza could do. Mm-hmm. But then you keep stepping up the power level and you don't get equal amounts of environmental instruction or like. Not equal, but you don't get uh, the environmental destruction growing and growing and growing. It actually, actually, I feel like gets toned down a little bit. And maybe you could consider that sort of like the uh, Vegeta mindfulness thing uh, in the sense of like being in more control of your power can be just as important as being really strong. Right. It's almost like. Here, we'll tie this back into some some early podcast episodes when we talked about um, coding the whole baking dish uh, as far as like fleshing out a character. What Vegeta seems to be doing with his mindfulness is like fully understanding his abilities and like what he's capable of and the different ways he can use his uh, techniques, you know? Um, and so with that, he's got like a, a fuller range. And I feel like the end, like kind of goal of this is almost like a, like the visualization you get from, um, the fight between, um, fuck, what's the chairman's name in Hunter Hunter? Oh, uh-huh. chairman <laughs> Netero. Yeah. Yeah. Netero versus Meruem when Netero, um, like has that fucking I don't even know what to call it but you know almost like Susano from Naruto where he's he's got the big fucking giant idol behind him 
and uh, it's got like the multiple arms that can fucking attack in any direction and attack like a thousand times, you know. Um, yeah, that 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 kind of to me feels like, you know, an end path for this sort of thing, which would could, I mean, it doesn't have to be that way, but you know, that kind of idea of like the the very mentally present um fighting style rather than the like getting lost in the rage sauce i guess i like that and i like that they kind of they have ultra instinct for goku and ultra ego for vegeta as far as the the differences in their their approach goes yeah yeah um i think it's bullshit vegeta won uh <laughs> Goku just should have won. Vegeta should have never won. I, I don't care. Vegeta should just... He's a jobber. He should lose every single time. He's a jobber. That's my belief. <laughs> he loses like it's his job. God damn. Yeah. You know, the, um, so I kind of wanted to talk about, like, why um, I like Trunks a little bit. And it's that, like, Trunks has that, like, bad boy attitude. But he doesn't have the... And this is a good thing. He doesn't have the, I, I guess, sort of like the the overblown ego of Vegeta. And that, like, Vegeta used to be this, like, conqueror, Saiyan prince. And now he's, you know, he, he still is a Saiyan prince, obviously, but that doesn't, like, mean as much. And, and what he's doing isn't, like, conquering worlds. Um so yeah i i think trunks is a very interesting character and that's i'd really like to see more of him and goten um because i i I love that kind of like that bad boyness and i guess since he's also sort of being raised as a human um he gets some of that like i guess sort of heroic like ability that human heroic like ability that i think gohan definitely has right right um, so yeah, that's just kind of like, uh, one of the reasons I, I like Trunks. Um, I, I did want to say, oh yeah, earlier we were talking about the English dub. Yeah, the, the screams that I was talking about earlier, um, before the spoiler section. Dude, Cell Max's war cry when he's holding Piccolo's limp body. Actually, I think I might have already mentioned that earlier. But yeah, that fucking war cry is crazy. It's so good. It, it definitely it's evocative of again like the the dragon comparison but the bestialness the yeah. you know lion's roar sort of deal and, and it, it was really nice seeing it at theaters because you get the really loud with the speakers oh, vibrating yeah. and everything yeah yeah that i mean that whole movie was yeah it was very like did a good job of being cinematic i think uh yeah i, w- I would definitely say like if people who aren't really into like animated movies of like the theatrical experience of that and think that they're like lesser yeah uh in like the cinematic sense this is definitely a very cinematic movie one last thing before we go we are talking about trunks i love future trunks i love the sword give me more swords hell yeah give me more swords of dragon ball fuck yeah and yeah give give me more pan dude when pan was uh, flew you know into gohan's arms for the hug that was so cute i loved it oh my gosh uh pants pants great lover 
we we can play this by ear and maybe do this further down the line. But maybe after we do Dragon Ball, and then eventually Dragon Ball Z, we could see about doing Dragon Ball GT. I really want it's to. It's definitely not as good. I, I know. So I've been like watching shit about Dragon Ball GT, right? Like I've been watching people talk about it. And uh, I, I want to know, you know, it seems so d- different. It seems like such a departure from. Did you not watch Dragon Ball GT with me when it was just like coming on Cartoon Network after school? I think I may have, but that was like. I was one that had to have been like pre like age 10 for me. So I don't remember like any of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't retain much of anything have happened if I, if I did watch it. Cause I, I like, I recognize the designs, right? Like I, I recognize old pan and older um, trunks. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't like remember anything that happened. Because I, I definitely know there's a point in time um, every single day after school, it was the Boo Saga, and then they started airing uh, Dragon Ball GT, and we just watched through at least all of GT that Toonami aired. I don't know if there's a difference there between what Toonami aired and what exists, because uh-huh. I know sometimes there's cases like that. Uh, and I've never gone out of my way to watch Dragon Ball GT since then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, great movie. I think we about covered everything I wanted to cover. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I, you know, anything more would just be me gushing about Pan, Gohan, and Piccolo. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to consuming more Dragon Ball content and looking forward to playing Kakarot. And we'll definitely look forward to those fucking Dragon Ball episodes. Let's say toasty. Yum, yum. <coughs> so listen, maybe we'll put this at the end. At the very end. Post credits. For all my marijuana enthusiasts out there, if you haven't already, get you, go to Amazon, look up Bovito. 62% humidity. Get you some of them little packets, right? It's not silica, it's something else, I think. But if you throw it in with your flour, and it keeps it at 62%, it's like the perfect temperature to... Or, sorry, perfect humidity to keep weed at. And it smokes better. The hits are, like, cleaner. They taste better. They're um, not as hot, because drier weed is like way more hot takes to burn it you know um and also it grinds easier it's easier to fucking pack the bowls it's great it smells way better if you you know fucking i know i know you sick fucks i know you shove your head in that fucking jar with that plastic baggie after you pick it up from the plug and you just mm, you just fucking inhale with all of your life force <laughs> that's what I do um yeah listen this is this is for the enthusiasts out there I'm 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 becoming an enthusiast this is a hobby for me now I I get fucking uh I I've learned moderation I always take at least one day off a week of like no consumption of THC and I usually only smoke or whatever in like a four or five hour window 
every day. I get ripping and roaring high. And so that, I mean, even like a six hour window would be fine. Um, and that makes it to where like, you can just like consistently get that, that great high and you're not like burning yourself out on like tolerance or whatever. It's just, it's just moderation, baby. You have moderation, you never have to take tea breaks. Okay, that's what I learned. And now I've got fucking glass pieces doing bong rips, you know? Uh, the beaker bongs are the best. Fuck the straight tube bongs. I've got all kind of crazy palm leaf wraps if you want to do blunts. I've got fucking concentrates for edibles. I've got vape pens, you know? What you want, I got it. Okay? I'm an enthusiast. All right, let's <laughs> move over for now. <laughs>